You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Hey, we've got a great show for you today. One of my favorite longtime regular guests drops in. But first, uh, the opening of the show, I couldn't pick just one topic for the opening of this week's show. So think of this as a pre-Christmas clearance rant. The Chris Nother, no th- sexual assault allegations, which are horrible, didn't ruin the Sex and the City reboot for me because I wasn't watching the Sex and the City reboot because I didn't watch the original Sex and the City series or the movies. I am not casting aspersions on anyone who liked the show or loved the show and still loves it. I have admitted publicly to binge-watching 90 Day Fiancé. I am in no position to judge or shame anyone for their television preferences. Some good news for sex workers. The Supreme Court last week ruled that sex workers must be treated like all other workers and citizens, same legal rights, protected by the same labor laws, full legal recognition, full benefits, But uh, yeah, this was the Supreme Court of India that handed down that ruling last week. We can expect much less and much worse from our Supreme Court. Joe Manchin, fuck Joe Manchin. I want that on a flag. Can I get that on a flag? Or is waving stupid and insulting flags around only okay if you're a Republican? Billie Eilish, oh God, she was so, so good on Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago. So funny. She killed it. If she wasn't already one of the biggest pop stars in the world, they should make her a cast member. And she went straight from SNL, as you may have heard, to the Howard Stern show, where she had some things to say about porn that upset a lot of porn performers and consumers. She apparently started watching hardcore porn at age 11, which is too young. And when she started having partnered sex, she wound up doing things that she didn't like, but that she thought were expected of her because she'd seen them in porn. Eilish also said that she wished that porn didn't exist and she could destroy it or end it. Disagree with that. But Eilish's overarching point that porn can warp a young person's view of sex and their expectations of their partners, of what sex is, of what's normal or what can be expected of them or what they should want and how all of that can leave a person feeling pretty horrible about their first sexual experiences. That's all something we've talked about on this show a lot. And we are pro-porn and pro-porn performers and pro-sex work around here. I just wanted to say, wanted to throw into the Eilish conversation again, wanted to emphasize again that, yeah, porn is out there and it's going to stay out there. And we need better sex ed that promotes porn literacy among young people before they're sexually active. They need to know that what they're watching is what someone else wanted or someone else thought other people wanted or wanted to see. The question that kids need to ask themselves before they become sexually active is what do you want? That's what you should do. That and early on, only that. Plenty of time to explore and get more adventurous and be GGG later. Sarah Palin last week told a crowd at a conservative conference that she'd be getting the vaccine over her dead body. At that point, seems like a little late for the vaccine, but hey, whatever it takes. Speaking of holidays, happy solstice, hippies. And this might be the year I finally do it. This might be the year I finally watch Love Actually. I've never seen this problematic holiday classic, but I watched the trailer last night and yeah, it might finally happen. I might finally watch this movie from 1992 or whatever. I will, of course, live tweet it if I do. Speaking of holiday movies, we watched the gay remake 
of Get Out last night. It's on Netflix. It's called Single All the Way. And man, it answers the question, could a supportive family drive a gay child to suicide? And the answer is yes, yes, it could. It's Christmas on Saturday. Merry Christmas to all who celebrate. And if you're going through it right now, and a lot of us are going through it right now, but if Christmas puts you through it every year and you're going through it squared, my heart goes out to you. It really does. And remember, if your family of origin is awful to you for whatever reason, you don't have to show up to get punched in the face just because it's Christmas. You also don't have to show up to get set up on a date with your mom's personal trainer. You do not have to show up for that either. And if you're alone this Christmas, please know that you're not alone in being alone. There are a lot of people out there who are alone. That is cold comfort, I realize. But you can make it your New Year's resolution to find and really connect with a few people who are as alone as you are or feel as alone as you do so you can keep each other company next Christmas. All right, one last thing before we get to the show, last minute Christmas gift suggestion. Give the gift of the Magnum Savage Lovecast. More questions, more answers, more guests, twice as much of the show, and no ads, plus a special monthly hangout with me for our Magnum subs. Gifting someone a subscription is easy. Just go to savage.love, click on Lovecast, click on subscribe, click on buy a gift. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro and Magnum, Mistress Matisse, my friend for years, longtime guest, She's here to answer a couple of listener questions about whether sex work is right for them. Mistress Matisse is on the micro and also on the Magnum. All that coming right up. Hi, I'm a 41-year-old queer woman living in the Midwest. I've been with an amazing partner for the past four years. He made it clear to me from the beginning that he did not do monogamy, which I was really fine with after getting out of like a 15-year basically sexless relationship. We have been largely monogamous up to this point, but recently I decided to sort of put myself out on one of the apps and I ended up meeting somebody and we started hooking up. She made it pretty clear that she wasn't interested in a relationship and I was really fine with that because of where I'm at in my life, but I am the type of person that if I have sex over a period of time with somebody who I actually like, I'm going to feel something. So I brought that up to her last week, mainly as just needing clarification, just needing to hear either, hey, I feel the same way or no, I don't. It's just sex. I was fine either way. I just needed some clarification. So her answer to me was, well, this has been on my mind as well. I've been writing things down and I've been discussing things with other people, which I unfortunately took to mean that she had feelings for me as well and spent the next four days talking to my partner, talking to my therapist about how we could make more of a poly style relationship work. I had a follow-up phone conversation with her a couple days ago only to find out that I completely misunderstood her and she does not have any feelings for me at all. Um, what she had been talking about to other folks was just that she thought I was having feelings for her and she didn't reciprocate them. So I was pretty overwhelmed just by the magnitude of the misunderstanding. I got pretty upset and we decided to stop seeing each other. And now I think she probably thinks I'm a basket case who could not possibly engage with her um, without like falling madly in love and hurting myself. But, like, that's not true, and I feel like we just threw away a really good, fun thing 
over a non-issue that could have easily been clarified if her answer had just been a little bit more direct last week. So my question is, is it worth reaching back out to her to try to clarify things and see if there's really a chance to continue things? Or should I just cut it off and move on? So you were having feelings and you shared those feelings with her and she let you know that she was having feelings about your feelings, but they weren't the feelings that you hoped she was feeling about your feelings. Her feelings about your feelings were it was kind of a violation of the terms of the relationship for you to have feelings at all. And now you have feelings about that that you want to share with her. And yeah, you can. You can put it all in a letter. You can give her a call. You can send her a link to this week's show and let her listen to what you had to say. But if she's afraid of continuing to see you because you caught feelings and hoped she had feelings too, well, then her concern is that continuing to fuck you is to encourage you and, you know, continue to have those feelings or when she's sleeping with you, that you may have ulterior motives. You may tell her that it's fine if she doesn't have feelings for you, but then be hoping the whole time that you're fucking, be hoping and fucking that she will develop the same kinds of feelings for you. And if she knows she never will, maybe she doesn't want to, I don't know, disappoint you further or again and hurt your feelings. But it's possible, it's possible that she misses the great sex that you are having. And you know, it sometimes happens when you have a FWB relationship with someone or not even an FWB relationship with someone, an actual relationship with someone that someone has feelings or more intense feelings than the other person at different times. And that's okay. That's a risk we take when we take our clothes off and get into bed with people. But she doesn't want to sleep with you again. Go find somebody else who does. And now that you know, or you knew all along kind of, that sleeping with somebody on the regular, that you typically catch feelings for that person, well, that's something that you should disclose. That's something that you should put on the table when you start sleeping with someone regularly. That for you now, knowing what you know about yourself, you're open to poly, open to things moving in a poly direction. If that's scary for someone who only wants a casual sex partner, well, then you're not the right casual sex partner for them. In which case, maybe you scared off this woman and maybe it's good that she ran screaming because you're not what she wants and she can't give you what you want and you will have more feelings about that and they won't be good. So she's just trying to spare your future bad feelings or spare you those future bad feelings. But that clears the field for you to go find new sex partners who are open to you, feeling feelings, who might have feelings for you too in return and that you can have a more poly style relationship with. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at I am a bi woman in my 30s in the Southeast. And for the last six years, I've had what I call a sex friend. We've been sleeping together for the better part of six years now. And every time that I get into a relationship, we call it off. We take our space. And we respect each other in more of a friendship way than a sex way. But I'm single again after a year and a half long relationship. And we started sleeping together again. It's been about three months since my breakup. And I don't want to give up this dick, even though I'm ready to date again. 
I know that you've given a lot of advice to people who are already in relationships who want to open up their relationship to other people, but I am basically single and seeing this guy that I have this amazing sex with, this amazing friend with benefits relationship with, but I want to go out and seek a committed relationship, but I don't want to give up this sex again. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for someone who is single with a friend with benefits who then wants to go into dating. Every time that I've gotten into a relationship, I've given up this guy who I have great sex with in lieu of a committed relationship, and I miss him. And now it's like, okay, I have this dick back and I want to go back into dating and have someone who's committed to me and I'm committed to them. But what if I didn't give up my friend with benefits, my sex friend? Do you have any advice for someone who is single and looking to start a relationship that just starts as open instead of starting a relationship that then becomes open? I don't want to give up this sex. I'm calling you back to ask the question that I think a lot of people who just listened to your question are asking themselves right now and want me to ask you. Why aren't you dating the guy with the great dick that you miss when you start dating other people who don't have as great dicks or whose dicks are great, but you want this great dick too? Well, I mean, it's definitely crossed my mind in the past like six years that we've been doing this, but, um, you know, we just live really separate lives and, you know, there's a bit of an age gap too. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's, we both just really like having our own thing going on and then just coming together like once a week for these really hot times. And if the hot times are really, maybe you just want to kind of preciously jealously guard those times. You don't want to screw them up by beginning to date. If this once a week treat is so awesome, but still I, I gotta wonder, you know, you can be with somebody. You're obviously, you have a long-term, you, you are in a long-term relationship with this person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked about it like, Hey, it's kind of crazy that we've, had this much staying power for this long but I think kind of the thing that makes it work I think especially with his personality is that it is exactly what it is you know like we come together have a great time you know sometimes we'll watch a movie like once a year we'll go out and get food or something mm -hmm. but um it's it is well like kind of how you said this little like secret precious Thing. <laughs> and what's made this long-term relationship work is that you have very, I don't want to say low expectations in a pejorative sense, but you have reasonable but low expectations. You don't expect a lot from him. And there's not a lot of obligation here. You can opt out of it when you need to, when you're dating somebody, I assume he can do the same and there's no hard feelings. Mm -hmm. And then when you're both single, you come back together again and it's awesome and explosive, which uh, I, I'm just like, if I was in your situation, I wouldn't want to upgrade to relationship at least once to see how it went. And if you guys can end it and pick it back up, I assume you could date. And then if that went disastrously, you know, not see each other for a little bit and then pick the FWB thing back up. Yeah, I could, we could, I mean that, <laughs> I guess, um, you know, part of me, just knowing him, like mm -hmm. it, it's, we've had conversations before where like, and I, I don't know, I've met other guys like this in my life that are like, 
I don't want a relationship. I want to be by myself. I love fucking you. But, uh, <laughs> All right. I've met, I met a couple of those guys too. Of course, we can't, you and I can't decide that he has to date you uh, and unilaterally exactly. impose that on him. So let me answer the question you asked, which is as a single person who has a regular fuck buddy, how do you get into a relationship that's open from the start? Yeah, kind of. I'm like, can I have it all, you yes. know, but I, I have this thinking feeling that maybe I can't have it all at the same time exactly how I want it. <laughs> well, if you tell yourself you can't have what you want, you're likelier to get it because that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're all so yeah. invested in being right. Even when being right is against our own self-interest, we will sabotage a relationship to prove ourselves right. We're just so attached to being right. All you got to do is use your fucking words. All you got to do, you know, if you want this guy in your life and you don't want to sneak around and see him when you're dating somebody else, you just got to say, I have a regular friends with benefits that I've had for six years, perhaps the longest LTR I've ever had, a kind of relationship, and I'm not going to let that go. And if that's a problem for you, then we can't date. We shouldn't see each other. I'm totally up for a committed relationship. I want a primary partner, but I want this guy in my life too. And, you know, that opens up the possibility for you having a other sex partners as well, or you listen to my show, you're a subscriber, you know what a cuckold is, right? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I don't know. It's kind of funny. Like, you know, the terminology, when you talk to people who want to open up their relationship is finding that unicorn. I feel like I'm kind of (laughs) looking for, I don't know, a different kind of unicorn, someone who isn't going to be like totally freaked out by the idea of going into a relationship with that. Anybody who's totally freaked out is not the right guy for you. So you kind of, you're going to encounter guys who are freaked out. You don't want to date one of them and they're disqualified from dating you when they freak out. And then you can move on until you find the guy who doesn't freak out about it. And then you can determine if you're emotionally compatible, sexually compatible in every other aspect that's important, not just this. And you're just going to have to sift and sort and vet and date. But if, openness and open the open R, the allowance, the accommodation for this one other partner is a non-negotiable for you. Throw, slam that down on the table. Like this guy slamming his dick down on, uh, you know, the counter or whatever, and just make it <laughs> explicit. And don't worry about the guys who run from you. Cause you want those guys to run from you. And once all the guys who'll run from you because of that have run from you, you will see the guys standing there who aren't afraid of this who want it because they want openness too, or an open R is what they've always wanted, or they're just really excited by the idea of you having this other part of your sex life that doesn't involve them, or they're a cuckold. Those are the guys you want to find. Easier to find those guys if after you scare off the guys who are like, no fucking way. Exactly. No, I, I think I can do this because every time that I've gotten into a relationship, I, you know, meet up with my sex friend and I'm like, okay, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. So we have to, you know, 86 the relationship for the time. And, uh, (laughs) you know, he's always cool with that. But it's like, you know, why have I limited myself? Probably just because I think it's what you're supposed to do. Like you can't get into a relationship with someone. Uh, Fuck what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Exactly. The risk here is. If you love this guy in some level, if you love the dick, if you love this connection, this relationship for what it is, and you have to end it whenever you get into, you know, you're dating somebody, you're going to sabotage those relationships when you're dating someone to get back to this dick. You're right, for sure. Um, 
if that's the choice you're setting up for yourself <laughs> and it's a false choice, this guy's dick or a relationship when you can, if you listen to my show, you know, you can have both. You can have a relationship and you can have the relationship you already have with this guy and his dick. All right. Yeah. I don't have to sacrifice it for my happiness. No, right. you don't. You just have to use your words and not worry when you scare somebody off because they weren't the guy for you. Thanks, Dan. I think I just needed you to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my show is all about. Thank you so much. And thanks for being a Magnum subscriber. Of course. I love your show. Thanks so much. Bye. Hello, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I am in my early 20s and live in New England. I discovered your podcast a few months ago, and it has been revolutionary, empowering, and authenticating to me discovering polyamory. I have recently joined the apps, um, in particular Field, which has also been just as empowering and authenticating, seeing those with a similar lifestyle or way to love than I do. So I matched with a gentleman who's visiting from the other side of the country, and he talked to me for a month before we decided to meet up, texting, calling every day, and he decides he's going to come over and visit. He tells me the day before he comes over, you know, he's tired of being used as a sex toy. He's really looking for connection beyond compatibility, regardless of whatever happens. Um, he doesn't just want to be used for sex and looks forward to carrying on some sort of connection. So he asks me before he comes up if he can bring a girl that he met on the apps a couple weeks prior, this beautiful girl from a few states away. Um, I say this is beautiful. I'd love to have both of them. Um, so they come over. We have an absolute beautiful what I thought to be spiritual and transcendental experience um, and we have a beautiful night all together and I'm more connected to the girl more so than him I feel like me and her did a lot of eye gazing a lot of cuddling a lot of massaging and we felt really close to each other I think I might have stole the show a little bit and I think I may maybe reflecting maybe made him a little bit uncomfortable that me and her had a greater connection well the next day I didn't get her number and I text him after they left and I say I had a beautiful night with you too um I can't wait you know I hope you guys have a sweet day well he doesn't answer me and ghosts me for two days and then answers me and tells me he, um, me and him weren't compatible and that him and her are not looking to further a connection with me and then he blocks me on everything um this left me feeling quite vulnerable and insecure um you know, is he, and my biggest issue is he gatekeeping this girl from me. You know, I don't have her number. Do I have a long lost lover two states away? Is, is he telling her that he doesn't want, that I don't want a connection with her? You know, like I understand I can't force someone to want a connection with me. Um, but now I just feel like, is he telling this girl that, 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 she, that I don't want a connection with her? Do I have a long lost lover? And how can I avoid this in the future? I feel like it was pre-negotiated that he was looking for connection, um, beyond compatibility. And he was talking to me every day for a month. And now I'm just left cleaning up the mess of everything and I'm blocked. So I'm just wondering, you know, I've been feeling, feeling very safe in my polyamory. I've been cradled by couples. I've been cradled by other poly people. And this just left me feeling very vulnerable and kind of unsafe in a poly space and i'm just wondering moving forward how do i protect myself better should i have asked for her number first like where's my long lost lover dan let me know what you think what should i do your long lost lover is on field that's what the guy told you who arranged this three-way that he met this woman a couple of weeks ago on the same app where he met you so you know where she is or you might be able to find her or she might be able to find you. And if the connection is as intense for her as it was for you and this guy, because his feelings got hurt, 
is running interference and trying to twat block the both of you from hooking back up again, well, then she's probably back on field or may still be on field. And there is a way that you two could find each other. Field says about itself that it is a hookup app for people interested in casual sex, polyamory, kink swinging, and other alternative sexual preferences. This guy, during the month that you guys were chatting, he told you that he was looking for something ongoing, that he was interested in more than just casual sex. Could have been true. He also could have been lying his face off to get into your pants or to get into her pants. And that's a risk you run when you have a hookup with someone. You know, someone may hook up with you for the first time and have a really good feeling about it and a good feeling about you. And then they didn't enjoy the sex. If it was a three-way and they were left out and they felt that that was inconsiderate, maybe they don't want to hook up with you again because what they, because the impression they got during that three-way where they were left out was that you weren't as into them as they were into you or that you weren't as considerate a lover as maybe they hoped or thought you were, or it could be that you did nothing wrong. And I always say that to people don't have fucking three ways. If you can't emotionally handle the fact that invariably during every three way, there are breakout moments where it's a two way and you're on the outside of it. And if that doesn't sound sexy to you, if watching the two people that you were having a three way with kind of groove on each other for a moment before they pull you back in or you jump back in is going to hurt your feelings and you're going to be a pouty dick about it for the rest of your life. Three ways aren't for you. Maybe that's what happened here. Maybe he's a pouty dick. Maybe he's just telling you what you wanted to hear to get into your pants, but it was casual sex and it didn't go the way you wanted it to go. That sometimes happens. You're giving him too much power. You're giving him too much thought. Maybe you're going to see these two people again. Maybe not. Maybe she's out there pining for you. Maybe not. Let it roll off your back. Put your ad back up on field. Take a look around for hers. Drop her a note if you find her. And yeah, great. She's as into you and you guys hook back up again. And it's as great as it was that first time when unfortunately he was in the room. You can run off together and be lovers. But if you never hear from her again, you had a really great, intense, fun sexual experience where you really dug one of the two people that you were in the room with. Awesome. Let it go. Don't obsess about it too much. Move the fuck on. And don't blame this on polyamory. Don't like look at this and say, ah, poly people are all liars. Because people into monogamy, people who say they were looking for monogamy will do this exact same thing. Have a change of heart after the first time they hook up with somebody or lie to somebody to get them to hook up with them, which is not okay. But it happens and we all have to be braced for it. And when it happens to each of us, as it inevitably does, we have to not be devastated by it. Hi, Dan. Cash gender person calling from the bad side of Washington with a question regarding labels. My partner was assigned male at birth, but currently is taking gender affirming hormones to become more feminine. They self-identify as human basically non-gendered and feel that the body they were born into should have had a penis, but also breasts and feminine features because we are in an extremely conservative place. It's a little scary for them to be fully out. So they live and work as a man out of fear of violence. 
So we were having a discussion about what our sexualities are. Mine's easy. Even though I'm cast gender and am fully apathetic about gender in general, I know I'm attracted to personality first with zero care about gender. I consider myself demi and pansexual. My partner, though, is also under the agender, non-binary spectrum, but they are only attracted to those that present or identify as women. We can't find a label to really fit. If you focus on genitals, then you're ignoring the entire person. But if you only focus on gender, then there's a huge spectrum. So the words straight, gay, bi don't really fit. Pansexual doesn't fit because they aren't attracted to all genders. I've had people suggest that lesbian would work, but that assumes my partner is female gendered. Some suggested queer, but then a queer person said that you can't be queer if you present publicly as a cishet white male. Gynosexual was suggested during the sack lunch, but my partner is fine if a woman has a penis, but maybe that term could work. It seems terms for sexuality haven't caught up with all the possible gender combos out there. So if my partner decides to create a dating profile, what sexuality would they choose to describe an agender person who has a penis that's attracted to women, no matter what's in their pants? I don't know. Maybe there isn't a term for your agendered assigned male at birth mask presenting in public for fear of violence, but wishes to obtain other female secondary sex characteristics like breasts at some point partner, maybe your partner is so complicated that there's just not an easily understood term that you guys can bandy about on dating apps or whatever, that people will immediately grok everything your partner is and how complicated your partner is. You may, because your partner's sexual orientation Gender identity is also unique and very complicated. Just be forced into rattling off to prospective new partners everything you've had to, if that's indeed what you're after here as opposed to just a, a term of self-understanding, everything you rattled off for me because I just don't think there's going to be a single syllable word that's going to come into common everyday use that gets across how very unique and complicated a person your partner happens to be gay, straight, bi, pretty self-explanatory, although in their own ways complicated. There are, you know, you say gay and people just assume penis having cisgendered males who are attracted to other males. And there are trans guys with vaginas who are gay identified and relationships with gay men who are cis or gay men who are trans. Like gay is even itself more complicated then sometimes people realize, but I just, if what you're after is that single syllable term like gay straight by for your partner, I don't think you're going to find it. And if you coin it, which seems to be what the queer community is all about these days is coming up with terms for these ever more unique sexual and gender orientations and also combinations your partner's lived experience is still going to be so unique and that, that that word, if you can come up with it, and I can't, is not going to be understood by enough people for you guys to avoid 
for you persons to avoid still having to unpack who your partner is at great length as you did in your question. So even if we could come up with a word, single syllable, where the definition was everything your partner is, you're still going to have to explain it all to the person that you say that word to who doesn't know what that word means because they've never encountered it because it's not going to come into wide usage because your partner's very unique experience is very unique to your partner. Hi, Dan. So I'm a non-binary person. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I am 19. So I'm engaged and I was wanting to kind of open the relationship a little bit with just like sexually because I just think it would be fun to kind of like just go fuck around with some people, you know, because um, I got engaged pretty young. I'm only 19, so I didn't really have a lot of time to fuck around. So I know the solution to this is just talk to my partner, and I know that 100%, but I was just wondering, how do I introduce that topic, and how do I talk to him about it when I don't want to make him feel insecure or inadequate or not good enough for me, when I just want to go out and have some fun and goof off pretty much, and, you know, I but I don't want to offend him at all, so what's your advice in, like starting an open relationship like sexually. Welcome new listener, new 19 year old listener. I'm just going to assume that you haven't done a deep dive into the archives because if you had, you would know that open schmopen, this conversation you need to have with your fiance about wanting to have some sexual adventures before you settle down. That's not really what's going to interest me or what I'm going to want to talk about. I'm going to want to talk about being 19 years old and engaged to be married, you are too young. And you know it. You know it in your heart that you are too young to be married. That's where this anxiety about how little experience you've had is coming from. This desire to get out there and fuck around with other people, even if it risks blowing up the relationship. I don't think that your subconscious mind is wanting to do these things despite the fact that it could blow up the relationship. I think, I hope your subconscious mind is wanting to get out there and fuck around to blow the relationship up because you got to know that 19 years old is too early to get married. And there is a mountain of social science out there that shows that early marriage correlates with divorce. I don't think divorce is always a tragedy. I think people can get out of a marriage. Two people can end a marriage and it can have been a success. But you you don't go into a marriage wanting it to end necessarily. Divorce is always painful. And you're too young at 19. You barely know your hole from an ass in the ground. You are too young to get married. So there's two conversations you need to have with your fiance. Conversation one, what the fuck were we thinking? Engaged. Bullshit, we're engaged. Or if we're engaged, it's going to be like a long engagement like at least eight years. And then maybe we'll get married if we're still together in eight years. And long engagements are actually a really good idea. And if the person that you're engaged to, who proposed to you and you said yes to, is the person you're going to spend your whole life with potentially, that will still be true eight years from now. You don't got to lock it down three months later or six months later or a year later. Be engaged, lean into, if you insist on not ending this engagement, lean into engagement, be engaged with this guy for a very long time. Conversation two, if you marry him at all, which I don't think you should do (laughs) because if he's anywhere close to your age and you guys propose to each other, you both outed yourself in that exchange as 
not ready for marriage that you made a proposal at 19 or he did. Conversation two is, you know, how do you open the relationship without making him feel insecure or inadequate? You don't. You don't can't risk making him feel insecure or inadequate. You can't have this conversation. You can reassure him during this conversation that he ain't inadequate, that he has nothing to feel insecure about, dot, dot, dot. But there's still a risk that he will react badly to this ask of yours if that's not what he wants. If he also doesn't want an open relationship. But you know what? If that's not what he wants, then that conversation will be very revealing. And what it will reveal is that you are not right for each other. If he isn't open to or doesn't want what it is that you want, you shouldn't be engaged. Not the right partner for you. So the reasons you fear having this conversation with him are the reasons you need to have this conversation with him. And upside for me, odds that after you've had this conversation with him, you will no longer be engaged to him are pretty high, pretty high. And you shouldn't be engaged to him because you are too young to get married. Welcome to the show, new listener. This is how we roll. Dan, hi. I'm a woman in her early 50s who has a much younger lover for the first time ever. He's half my age. I need some guidance on the campsite rule, please. When we first met, it was really perfect. No strings attached, you know. I didn't want anything serious. He couldn't provide anything serious. He made that very clear. He's an immigrant. Um, along with his parents and his younger brother, they're all living um, together. He financially supports the family. He works very, very hard and just um, hasn't had much luck dating because women always want more than what he can offer. So it was a really perfect pairing and um, we really enjoyed each other's company and I really grew to care for him, to be honest with you. But we did stop seeing each other recently because I was dating somebody else exclusively. That ended and now my young lover and I find ourselves reconnected, except that his life has changed dramatically. He's now engaged to be married to someone that his mother has chosen for him. And he says he will absolutely be marrying uh, this woman, even though he doesn't love her and he doesn't want to do it, but he's going to do it out of obligation to family and culture and his religion, he says. He also told me that he should not be having sex with me any longer, but that he can't stay away. And he's told me he's super attached to me. He has said many times that he is now in love with me and he wishes that he and I could be together, even though he knows we can't, he says. But he just talks a lot about that. And I sense a lot of melancholy in addition to the guilt and torment that he um, is wrangling with. And man, I don't, I don't know if I should just walk away. I mean, it, it would be kinder of me to be the adult here um, because I have a much less intense emotional uh, attachment to him. I care about him so, so much. I want the best for him, but I can't be more than what we are, even if he was not engaged. So part of me feels like I should just cut it off, let him go and let him focus on his life. But then the other side of me thinks, I don't want to cut it off prematurely. I really fucking care about him. Obviously, he cares about me. We're bringing joy and pleasure into each other's lives. Life is short. And, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to give up something good that I don't have to, I guess. I don't know, Dan. What's the kind thing to do? What would you do? You can't be more than what you are. You're his lover. 
He's not with you publicly. He's marrying someone else uh, because that's what his family wants him to do. And perhaps that's what he wants to do to please his family. So there's nothing on the table here where you two get married or run off together. That's not a choice. The only choice on the table is whether you two continue to see each other in secret, the way you've been seeing each other this whole time after he gets married. That's it. That's the choice you face. Do you want to be the twice his age piece on the side for however long that works for the two of you? And are you content with that? Would he be content with that? Morally, perhaps you might have a problem with being not just this guy's lover that his family doesn't know about, but this guy's lover that the woman he married doesn't know about. Do you have a problem with that? Do you have a problem with being the person he commits adultery with? Does he have a problem with that? If you do or he does, well, then it ends when he gets married. If you don't, well... Life is short and my official position at times, situational, case specific, is that sometimes you got to do what you got to do to stay married and stay sane. And if you're what he has to do to stay married or be married and stay sane and you're willing to settle for what little of him you can have and it doesn't sound like you wanted much more of him than you were getting, well then there's no reason necessarily to end this relationship. You can continue to be in his life. He can continue to be in yours. There's always the outside chance or inside chance that you guys could get caught and that could be a problem. So there's nothing premature about ending this now if you aren't content to be the person he commits adultery with after he's married. And there's nothing premature about him ending it now if he's not comfortable committing adultery with you after he's married. You can leave him so he can get on with his life or he can leave you to get on with his life. Or you two can still continue to be in each other's lives, maybe in a smaller way, maybe just a text relationship, maybe just a on the phone relationship. Or if you want, and it's fine with him, you can continue to be for another decade the piece on the side that helps him stay married and stay sane. I would give that my blessing, but I am a terrible person, as people know. Hey, Dan, I am a mid-40s, not totally straight guy living in the Northeast, and I am having a terrible time attempting to date and meet people, and I'd love to get your expert guidance. I feel like I'm stuck in these undefinable gray areas and it's holding me back and maybe the issue is that I'm being too picky. So for starters, I only want to connect with people whose orientations like mine fall somewhere in the middle. So while I only date women, I'm 0% interested in dating a straight woman. And while I would love to have a male friend with benefits, I don't want that person to be totally gay. I love looking for a third person together. And I love that three-person energy. I'd love to be in a triad or a thruple someday. And if I'm married, let's say, ideally someday, but my wife is straight, then we can't ever bring a woman into the picture and have everybody participate equally. And that would suck. And if I become besties with some 
gay guy that I'm fooling around with, we can't ever look for a woman together or he wouldn't ever want to join me and my future wife. So it just feels very limiting. And when it comes to monogamy versus non-monogamy, well, obviously I can't date anybody monogamous, but I also feel like I'm not poly enough for the polyamorous community. I've been to a bunch of poly mixers and meetups and I just feel overwhelmed and quite frankly turned off. Like it seems like everyone I meet there is already married and has two boyfriends and has three girlfriends and they all go to fucking Burning Man and do psychedelics and they love astrology and live in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And I'm totally being an asshole right now and generalizing, but the point is it's just not my scene. I don't wanna be involved in one of these massive tangled webs with a zillion partners who all have a zillion other partners. I have zero interest in going on separate dates from my primary partner. I wanna do all the things, but I wanna do it together. And I just, I'm not connecting with people on the apps. You know, I get likes from people on the vanilla apps, but they're vanilla and I get a lot of likes from gay guys, but I'm just like, ah, I wish I were gayer. So do I need to change my approach? Do I need to be less picky? How do I put myself out there and, and really find what I want? Like, I'm so good at relationships in all seriousness, and I hate that I'm single. I don't know how to find my person while still being fulfilled. So please help. Dude, I, I promise you, poly people, people who want a, a large tangled web, they had zero interest in dating you either. And that's fine. That's not what you want. What you want is an open relationship. You want a primary partner, someone that you have an open relationship with. And that's more common. There are more people out there who have or want open relationships than there are people who want or have polyamorous relationships. There are lots of bisexual people out there like you. You aren't required to date or sleep with gay guys. There are bi guys out there that you can date and sleep with. And there are lots and lots and lots of bisexual women out there that you could partner with. So I don't know how you got into this scarcity mindset. I don't know how you got into this place where you think that if you want a partner that you can pick up other people with, that it has to be somebody you pulled from the polyamorous meetup or met at the polyamorous meetup. When that's just somebody more common and more average that you can meet on any fucking dating app. It's easier for you to find what it is that you say that you want than you seem to think. So what is it that you want? You want, you're a bi guy. You're an out bi guy. You would like, and, and you're heteroromantic, you would like a female partner who is also bi so that you can pick up women together or maybe pick up men together. Good luck. Put that on the dating apps. Make that your ask. Make that your request. Stop frustrating yourself and then frustrating me. Stop frustrating yourself by going and looking for what you want in the place where what you want is not. You don't want a polyamorous relationship. Stop going to the polyamorous meetups. You just want a garden variety, off-the-shelf, basic, open relationship with another bi person. Ask for that from the universe. That's easier to find than a polyamorous relationship. Good luck. Okay. Um, my mom actually got me 
um, into the Lovecast in the first place, and now she is having me call in. So I'm bi or possibly lesbian. I'm 20 years old, living in Australia, but I'm from the West Coast. I have an interest in sex work, and I've had it ever since I was little, like Diary of a Call Girl and Burlesque and all that. I found it all just fascinating and beautiful and kind of alluring. And I also might have a bit of an exhibitionist gene in me. I've always had a sense of being mesmerized by like dark femininity and secrets. And this job, you know, is not exactly the one that you kind of shout from the rooftops if you ever want to get a job in a different industry in the future. But I find myself in the position of needing to pay for being alive. And both stripping and working at a brothel sound quite good. Brothels are legal where I live, and it's flexible hours, flexible commitment, big payday. I've worked in restaurant jobs and retail the last few years, and I'm really good at it, but I hate it. It honestly makes me hate my life. Um, And I feel like this might be a good new option, new direction for me to go in. I think I prefer full-service sex work to stripping, to be honest. Something about it being such a clear transaction, it's so, like, straightforward. My experience with entry-level jobs is that they all suck, and I've been selling my bodily and emotional labor for years, so I don't get what is, like, so extremely different in this situation. Like, it's not that I think sex is, like, so extremely spiritually meaningful to me that I don't want to have it for money. Like, I feel like that feels like a pretty okay thing for me. Like, it doesn't feel gross. But I'm wondering if it might affect me in the future in some different way that I can't really foresee because I'm so young and I don't know all the things I don't know. I guess my other concern is that I don't really know what else I want to do. And everybody says if you, like, strip or if you work in, I guess, like, the sex industry in general, you're supposed to be in it to get out of it. Like, I think you're supposed to have other concrete goals. And I'm a little bit scared that without having other things that I want to do, then I might just end up finding the environment to be like a slippery slope. I also feel lazy for not wanting a job that produces something for society, but that feels like a sneaky voice of capitalism speaking from inside my own head. I feel like this job could actually really help people and also give me the freedom that I want in my own life. Joining me to help tackle this question, a frequent guest who needs no introduction but deserves one, Mistress Matisse, sex worker, sex worker's rights advocate, professional dominant, author, columnist, blogger, all-around awesome person and an old friend of mine. Hey, Matisse, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. I'm really happy to be here, Dan. It's great. So I I think the first thing we have to bear in mind while we answer this question is her mom is listening. Her mom is a listener. Whatever we tell this 20-year-old about possibly going into sex work, her mom is listening. And that's giving me some anxiety. How about you? I, well, I hadn't thought of it quite that way, but I mean, I, I actually hope her mom does listen to this uh, so she can hear what, you know, another sex worker has to say about it. And that it's not just like, we're not just here recruiting people for the sake of it, right? We're going to talk about this in a really meaningful way. And I think the first meaningful thing we need to say is sex work ain't necessarily what you saw on television, on Diary of a Call Girl, or when you saw burlesque in the movie theater, there's a big gap between what sex work looks like in fictional representations and what it's like in reality. That is true. When I was 13, I saw flash dance and I wanted to be a stripper. And I was astonished to learn when I was older that being a stripper is nothing like the movie flash dance. <laughs> so, Would you like to detail yeah. all the ways in which it's different than flash dance? Well, uh, for one thing, they never did like lap dances or private dances or anything for the guys. They just took off their clothes on stage and 
Mostly, I mean, there are a few places in the States where you do that, but mostly you hustle money from the guys individually. Right. And that requires a right. lot of emotional labor and sometimes physical, I don't want to say danger. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's a sales job. It's like walking up to a stranger and saying, hi, you should give me money because I'm sexy and I'll pay attention to you. And that's why you should give me and money. That can, that's, I mean, that's, and, and even if the guys are polite, that you're inviting a lot of rejection and that can be you know, scalding Yeah, you're going to get rejected a lot. Yeah, right. Which which kind of takes me to this call because one thing she said is that she thinks that doing full service would be easier than being a stripper, and she's right. She's correct about that. Being a stripper is a very hard job. It is actually easier, in my opinion, to be a full service escort. Why is that? Because being a stripper, it's there is no situation in life that closely parallels this that isn't a strip club, right? It's just it's a very unique environment. And so people don't have a script for how to behave for that. And so you get people who behave badly. And of course, I'm oversimplifying dramatically, but you see my point. Mm-hmm. Um, being alone with a guy and having sex with him is a thing that people do, even when they're not being paid for it. Okay. Some people would argue that there are lots of examples out there of women who've been alone with men while paying for sex and men who've been alone with men while paying for sex where the client behaved badly. Is it not a similar degree of risk around bad behavior? Well, I mean, there's t- there's talks about like what physical risks you're at, and then there's talk about what job is the most difficult job, and those are two different conversations. Um, I did not say that being I mean being a stripper is safer than being a full service escort. It's true, but it's easier job to be a full service escort. So you've worked in uh, con- you you visited countries and worked in places where brothels were legal, like Australia. I believe you visited Australia. Yes, I have. I have visited Australia and I have worked at legal brothels in Australia. And so I'm going to say something now that you've never heard me say before, Dan, and I don't say very often. And that is, yes, I think this young woman sounds like she would do very well as a sex worker. I don't think I've ever said that before about someone I haven't met. What is it about her call or her question that makes you think she'd do well as a sex worker? She presented herself and her reasons for wanting to do it in a very clear, mature fashion. She's not making a decision under duress, right? She's not about to be homeless or, you know, about to be um, in some other dire financial circumstance. And that alone, starting sex work when you're not like up against a wall is a huge benefit because frankly, a lot of people do get into it when they're really in a financial crunch, but, but she's not. She does seem to understand that she would be there to facilitate their sexual experience, um, there was a kind of a red flag where she said something about, I want to explore my sexuality. You don't become a sex worker to explore your sexuality. You become a sex worker to facilitate other people exploring their sexuality. You're there to help them. So you have to keep that part in mind. But the rest of it, I mean, she just sounds really um, level-headed and like she would have at least some support from her, her mother, if not her mother's enthusiastic support. She wouldn't get disowned. And the country where she is, it's legal. So she'll be protected. There are folks here, speaking of people who go into sex work under economic duress, who argue, and I disagree with this position, I'm just devil's advocating so that you can knock it down or we can knock it down together, who argue that because Uh some people do go into sex work under economic duress, therefore, we need to protect people from sex work by criminalizing it, by throwing people who do it into jail, to prevent them from going into sex work under economic duress. As a sex worker's rights advocate, what is the response to that argument for criminalization? 
all all labor under capitalism is exploited labor. Like, there, how is sex work any different from any other job? You do it because you need the money, and you have to have money to survive. It's not unique in that quality. Uh, people want to say, oh, it's it's somehow uniquely dangerous or uniquely degrading. It's not. Um, airline stewardesses are getting punched out on planes right now, and <laughs> uh, people who are on school boards are getting death threats. So I'm not really hearing this talk about, oh, we're so uniquely vulnerable because of our jobs. I don't find that to be compelling at all. Not everybody, though, can uh, emotionally. There, there, there is a difference between you know you're a flight attendant, and, and one of the things that's great about being a flight attendant as opposed to being a sex worker in most places is that it's legal to be a, a flight attendant. And if somebody punches a flight attendant, the right. cops are going to storm onto the airplane and arrest the person who right. punched the flight attendant, not the flight attendant. Right, and that's why sex work must be decriminalized. And I completely like, agree. But some people say, and, and I think I'm, I think I agree with this. Like, I, I don't think I could do sex work. It would be a big leap for me to, you know accept money from someone that I wasn't attracted to and let them into my body. I don't know if I could do that. That doesn't mean I don't think people should do sex work. It means I shouldn't do sex work. Right. And that's why, like, it's definitely not for everyone. And that's why I emphasize, like, this is the first time I've ever heard someone talk and thought, you know, they might actually do okay at this, just based on how they sound here. Because rarely is that the case. A lot of people, I feel like, eh, maybe you're a little vulnerable. Maybe this wouldn't be the right thing for you. And I don't know, you know, I can't always know other people's experiences, but like she's, she's in a safe place. She can quit when she wants to. She has legal protection. It seems like her family would be there for her. She has a good idea of what to kind of expect going in. She seems to have a very unhung up attitude about sex. She kind of reminds me of me. Like, why shouldn't I have sex for money? It doesn't bother me in the slightest. So, and if she goes and works for a week and then hates it, she can quit and she's not going to be damaged by that, I don't believe. How do you define whorephobia? Um, an irrational fear or hatred of sex workers or the act of sex work based on things like God says it's bad. Because <laughs> I think I was guilty of a little bit of whorephobia at the beginning of the response where I was like, oh my God, her mom is listening. You know, as if all <laughs> people who do sex work don't have parents, as if in an ideal world, people who do sex work or any kind of work shouldn't have the support of their families and their families to fall back on. Right. So me being nervous that mom is listening, I think is a little bit of my residual horphobia. But I think the caller displays a little bit of her, their own residual horphobia in that she puts out there that like, shouldn't she be going into this with an idea of something else she wants to do? That it's okay to be a sex worker if you're putting yourself through law school. It's not okay to be a sex worker if you're, if that's your job, if that's your career, if that's your calling, that that's somehow stigmatized if it's what you want to do as opposed to if it's a means to an end. Yeah, she she definitely has some internalized horophobia and we all do. Like I you know you have to work to unlearn those kinds of things. She's only 20. Uh so I don't expect her to have the, you know, the wisdom and the the larger view here. And I felt a lot like her until I was about 30 and I realized I don't want to do anything else. I want to keep being a sex worker and that's what I'm going to do. So I can kind of relate to her that I felt like, "Oh, I'll just do this for a while until something else that I really want to do comes along and nothing else that I really wanted to do came along. And I tried a lot of things, but I thought, no, this is, this is what I want to do. And, you know, people say, it's like, Oh, I'm not contributing anything to society. Well, you're, it's a service job and you know, a service person doesn't manufacture a thing, but they create an experience. So it's just as valid for her to create her experiences for her clients. And that's contributing something to society 
as it is anyone who like cooks someone's food or performs in a play or wipes someone's ass when they're sick. Those are all service jobs. Uh, now I see your job is on a continuum with the guy who dresses up as Prince Charming at Disneyland and provides an experience of getting yeah. to interact with Prince oh, yeah. Charming to the professional dominatrix. It really is. They're really linked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the way I see it anyway. So uh, we have one more question, but before we leave this question, uh, since mom is listening, which still rattles around in my head, your thoughts on the parent, anybody doing sex work would benefit from having any advice for mom who's supportive of her daughter as she considers going into sex work. If the daughter does go into sex work as a sex worker, what kind of parent or what kind of support would you have liked to have received from your family when you started doing sex work? Well, that's a good question. My family kind of knows, and we kind of had this don't ask, don't tell thing that works fine for us. Totally. Not, I'm not saying it's how everyone has to do it. We're fine. What I would want to hear from my mom would be something like, honey, this is your life and you get to do what you want and we're always going to love you unconditionally. And I want you to be safe more than anything in the world. So that's the most important thing. And I hope that at any point when you're embarked upon this adventure, you don't feel safe. You will A, remove yourself from that situation and B, come to me and I will help you solve whatever problem you think you may have. Like if you need money, but you don't want to quit, I will give you money. If you just need emotional support for a bad day, I will, you can cry and I will hug you. Like just be there for her. All right, we have one more question I wanted to get your perspective on, if that's okay. I'm game for it. Bring it on. Hi, Dan. I'm in my early 40s, and I'm single and happy. So I don't like the term sugar baby at all, but I started to entertain the idea of seeking out some kind of arrangement like that. I've joined Seeking Arrangements, the website, and have so many questions for you. So here they are. First, some logistical things. Should I assume that everyone on the site expects a financial transaction to be part of each relationship? How do I even navigate that part of a conversation? What is the etiquette in terms of replying to people when they reach out? If I know I'm not interested in someone, is it okay to just never reply in the first place? What about when I've been messaging with someone who's kept their photos private because so many people do on the site for discretion? And then when they share their pictures, I just know it won't work or I'm not attracted to them. How do I say no gently in that circumstance? I don't like or really want fancy things. I don't want to be spoiled, which is something that people say a lot on the site. But I would love to find some financial support as I try to build some equity. So I'm excited about this possibility, but feel totally lost and in a different world where I don't speak the language. Can you help? So, Matisse, seems to me that there's a lot of minor chords of, of whorephobia throughout this call, throughout this question, sort of inform, And, and I think that's to be expected, you know, yeah. people who've never done sex work, thinking about doing sex work the first time we receive, just like we receive so many homophobic messages from mass media and culture and family and parents and religion. We receive so many whorephobic messages from all those same institutions. And then we, as I did when I was a young adult, got to know people who are doing sex work and it really dismantled what I thought I knew about it. And, and I had to reassess my position on sex work or really have it a position on sex work for the first time. And I've been pro sex work, pro decriminalization since I, before I started writing Savage Love. But, you know, for some of us, it's getting to know sex workers or reading sex workers online now. 
that dismantles our whorephobia. For others, sometimes it's thinking about doing it. And this woman is thinking about doing it. And yet she's trying to draw this line between, you know, what sex workers do, which is ask for money for sex and what she's thinking about doing. And I think in trying to draw that line, there's a lot of whorephobia in evidence. There's certainly a lot of fear of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's, it's strong. Like I, you know, there are very significant penalties that you pay as a woman for being perceived as a whore. And uh, I don't blame people for wanting to avoid those things per se. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I think if this woman is going to go into sex work, she needs to re-examine some of her own attitude. Yeah. She says she wants, she's interested in being a sugar baby, but she doesn't like the term sugar baby at all, but she's joined a sugar baby website and wonders if she should assume there's going to be a financial transaction or what the etiquette of putting that front and center might be. And of course, there's going to be a financial transaction. And if you're joining a sugar baby website, you're doing sugar baby style sex work. And you should embrace that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I have the impression this woman hasn't done a lot of like reading or research or stuff about kind of the customs of this. Because she kind of didn't seem to know a lot of the more basic things. Like, yeah, it, it is there is going to be some kind of financial transaction and you should expect that. So I think that like reading and learning more about the community that you're about to join is a great idea. And I might suggest a woman whose name is Taylor B. Jones and she has written a book and she has a podcast and a website um, that's all about being a sugar baby. And she's a woman of color and she seems to have, you know, done really well for herself and have a lot of great things to say. And I think that somewhere like that would be a good first stop for this person just to kind of learn more about the culture and the community that you're about to join uh, and hopefully find some community of our own. Jones's book is called The Sugar Daddy Formula, A Sugar Baby's Ultimate Guide to Finding a Wealthy Sugar Daddy. One of the really basic questions, and maybe I was a little too harsh at the beginning of my response, or this, you know, our conversation about this call. Maybe it's not like, it's not dripping. I don't want the caller to think, you know, you were offended or I was offended or there's just tons of whorephobia here. Maybe it was more sort of in ignorance. It, it just had a slightly like, I want to do this, but I want to be separate from it vibe that a lot of people sometimes give off when they're thinking about doing sex work for the first time. And I think doing sex work is really high stakes emotionally for many people and consequential, perhaps, you know, potentially socially because of the stigma. And so people do need to think about it carefully and parse it out. Um, one of the things she's thinking about is what to do with guys she's not interested in, what the etiquette is there. You know, certainly if it's, you know, somebody sends you a message, you're not even obligated to respond. And there's a lot of time wasters on the internet who just want to interact with sex workers so they can beat off to the messages they're getting without actually paying the sex worker for their time. So you're under no obligation to respond or she's under no obligation to respond to anyone. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I mean, 80% of the inquiries you get will turn out to be nothing and not worth your time, not suitable, 80% at least. So just you're going to be saying no or ignoring most of your messages and just drill down with the ones who really seem like they're going to be a fit for you. Seeking arrangement is a really challenging environment. Um, that website. I really think it's in some ways more challenging than straight escorting, but it's what she's chosen. So um yeah, like there's a certain way of navigating that that she could learn more about. And she seems a little concerned about rejecting a guy after he sends his photos. You know, one of the things we talked about with the previous caller was if you're going to be a stripper, 
and basically, you know, a salesperson approaching people and trying to sell yourself, you're going to encounter a lot of rejection and you have to be okay with that. And here we have sort of the flip side where the person considering a certain kind of sex work is worried about hurting men's feelings by rejecting them after seeing their <laughs> photographs. Is that something she needs to worry about? It's really sweet and, and, and sweet and dear of her, but no, she does not need to worry about that. Um, and that's the thing that really only happens mostly with sugar babies. Like most people seeing regular escorts don't send them pictures beforehand. So that's something that's a little bit peculiar to that industry that maybe kind of go pictures. That's so funny. But no, she doesn't have to worry about hurting their feelings. Like those guys are talking to lots of girls every day. So they'll just go on to the next one. And does she need to send a polite thanks, but no thanks note, or can she just go silent? I think she can just go silent. I mean, she doesn't seem like she's trying to build up a big career and a big name for herself where she needs to have some kind of pitch perfect track record. <laughs> so I would say that she can just blow these people off if she doesn't like the way they sound, they say something wrong or whatever. You must have been in situations where you had to reject a client, somebody showed up, you weren't comfortable, or someone that you'd seen before and had been comfortable with just started ticking you off or giving you a bad vibe and you had to reject them. How do you handle that in the moment? It is delicate to fire a client. And once you fire him, you can't ever take him back because the fantasy is ruined. Uh, so it's best not to do it in person, um, just in case. And once you said, and I don't recommend like reading them the riot act. I just say, you know what? I don't feel like we're really compatible together anymore. You know, I'm sure you feel that way too. Let's just go on and meet other people. You know, I, I wish you a nice life. Goodbye. Um, I wouldn't try to start a fight with a guy or, you know, go out like that. But just, just if you have, just don't be specific. And then once you've said that, no more communication. Do not allow him to wheedle you back into seeing him again because that goes wrong. The similarities in ending a romantic relationship, the, the white lies we tell. It's not you, it's me. This is the wrong time. I'm really stressed out. You don't go into what it is about that other person that made you want to break up with them. You you you, you, right. you say something broad and vague in general about it being over, and maybe if the other person demands specifics, you can let them have it, have them. But you just usually shut it down with something white lie and politeish that allows people to walk away feeling as if you know they saved face or they haven't been brutally rejected. Yeah, I mean, it's it's both a compassionate thing to do, and it's also, like, unfortunately, a matter of women's personal safety. Mm -hmm. It's better for you if you don't make men angry, um, and I hate that that's true, but it is also just a compassionate thing to do, and I believe in doing the compassionate thing to do whenever you possibly can. Thank you so much, Mistress Matisse. Everyone who listens to this show and has been listening for a long time has heard Mistress Matisse on the show before. She is such a tremendous font of wisdom and common sense. And you should all be following her on Twitter at Mistress Matisse for a dose of that wisdom and common sense. And before I let you go, I got to say, Matisse, one of the things I love about Twitter and you on Twitter, you've built a huge following when someone in the mainstream media, someone I like, like Peter Sagal, um, Jack Taper, they say something or they comment about prostitution or sex work and you jump on them and they end up talking with you. And it is so amazing to see people interacting with sex workers who are speaking for themselves and advocating for themselves on this platform. And no one does it, you know, big media people, and no one does it as well as you do. 
Why, Dan, you warm my heart. <laughs> I'm crying a little bit. Thank you. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Oh my me. God. Whenever you, whenever you, <laughs> whenever you started with someone, I always like, oh, I am following this because I am going to be here for when Mistress <laughs> Matisse wins the round as she always does. <laughs> You delight me. You delight me. All right. I owe you money now for that one. (laughs) Follow Matisse on Twitter at Mistress Matisse. And thank you again, Matisse, for jumping on the phone. Thank you, Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old bisexual living in the UK. Um, I find myself in a little bit of a problem. Um, I met someone through a kind of professional situation a year ago, a year and a bit ago, and um, we really hit it off. And we kind of met up outside of work things and um, yeah, just really felt a connection. But we're in a very different place in life. He's a little bit older, he's very busy, has a son. He's not with the the mother of his son. Um, uh, but yeah, so I kind of put it to one side, was like, oh, it's a crush, it's one-sided. But we got back into contact recently and he's been very flirtatious, but also has a partner. And so he, he like, you know, he kissed me, whatever. And I thought it'd be better if we were friends because I didn't want to be kind of complicit in um, on something that might involve hurting someone. But um, like we've seen each other since and there's still this kind of like strong flirtation. I just find myself in that weird situation. If it was like a friend, I'd tell them to run for the hills. He's definitely a bit of a player. You know, he's got a partner. He hasn't really told me what the situation is. It seems to be like not kind of working, but I, he hasn't mentioned that it's open. So I feel like it's a definite no, but I also can't stop thinking about him. But I don't want to end up in a situation that will hurt his partner or me. I'm just going to tell you what you said you would tell a friend who is in the same situation. Stop seeing this guy. He does not want to be your friend. He wants to fuck you and you want to fuck him too, which is why you keep hanging out with him. And the friendship, if you continue to have it, if you say, let's just be friends, you're both bullshitting each other. He doesn't want to be your friend. You don't want to be his friend. You want to fuck. You don't want to fuck though, because he's married to someone else. If it was an open relationship, which you say he hasn't mentioned, he would have led with that. You would already know that. It's definitely not an open relationship. It is what you say you don't want to be a party to, which is an affair. That's what's on the table here. You've already made out with him. He's already made out with you. First contact has been established. If you don't want to go any further, if you don't want to be tempted to go further than morally you're comfortable going, then you just need to fucking avoid him as much as you like him. You need to avoid him. And you say that you can't stop thinking about him, but that's because you haven't made a decision to stop seeing him, knowing that he wants from you that which you do not want to give him. Make a decision. You'll still think about him a little bit. He'll pop up. You'll think about him a little less and less over time. You'll meet somebody else. You'll fuck somebody else. And then you'll find yourself really not thinking of him at all much anymore. But yeah, you got to stop hanging out with him. And we've all been there. Most of us have been there where there's somebody that we want to fuck, but we know we shouldn't. And we keep hanging out with, and then we're tempted all the time to fuck this person. And if we don't stop hanging out with them, we are inevitably, invariably going to fuck that person. So stop fucking around. Stop fucking with me. Stop being a player. If you want to fuck him, fuck him. If you want to cheat, 
cheat. If you want to be party to his cheating, be party to his cheating. But don't be like Lady Hamlet about this, unable to make a decision, shit or get off his face, make a decision. And if you keep hanging out with him, well, then you've clearly made the decision that you're going to fuck him. You're just drawing it out by hemming and hawing, by torturing yourself and him. So, yeah, what is it that you want to do? What would you tell a friend? If a friend kept hanging out with somebody that they knew they shouldn't fuck but really wanted to fuck and continued to see that person, you would know that it was inevitable your friend was going to fuck that person. So if you don't want to fuck this person, stop hanging out with them. Go fuck somebody else. All right, before we get to listener response calls, let's read some of those listener tweets. Ina Dahl tweets, since I started listening to the Savage Lovecast whenever I bike, Dan's savory voice and sage advice has ushered me smoothly through the streets of Berlin for hundreds of kilometers, turning each dreaded commute into a sumptuous event. Now out of episodes, time to go magnum. I completely agree, Ina Dahl. Yes, go magnum and you can have hundreds more hours with me and my savory voice. What a great compliment. Thank you so much. Anytime left tweets, hey, at fake Dan Savage, what words do you use to describe the sexual orientation of a non-binary person who is only sexually attracted to men or only attracted to women? I'm a therapist who works with a lot of queer teens and mostly they seem as unsure as I am. Well, there are some to choose from. Androphile, someone who's exclusively attracted to men and or masculinity. Gynophile, someone who is exclusively attracted to women and or femininity. If it's dick, someone's gotta have. Phallophile. If it's pussy, vaginophile. Not exactly terms that roll off the tongue, but we shortened homosexual to homo. So andro, gyna, phallo, vajo. And finally, Rag in love tweets after being Twitter averse for years. I finally convinced myself to get a Twitter with my main motivation being tweeting about the Savage Love cast and the possibility of Dan reading my tweet on the show. There you go. Rage in love. I think that's what your handle. That's how your handle is supposed to be pronounced. Rage in love, not rag in love. All right. Thank you for tweeting about the show. Sorry, I got your name wrong. Thanks to everybody out there who tweeted about the show or posted something on Instagram or Facebook about the show. We really appreciate it. And now something else we really appreciate, listener comments, listener feedback, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. This call is in response to your monologue at the beginning of episode 790, where you referred to gold star gays. And you define gold star gays as a gay man who's never slept with a woman. There are gay women too, though, and lesbians often identify as gold star lesbians. And the term is used to be derogatory towards bisexual or pansexual lesbians who lean homoromantic, but maybe don't have such strong definitions about who they date or who they fuck. And it is also used as a very trans-exclusionary term in the lesbian community. Uh, My own wife didn't have sex with a man until she was in her 30s, and she just wanted to try it to see, you know, what all the hullabaloo was about. My mother responded to her that she didn't lose her virginity until she had had sex with that man in her 30s, because oftentimes lesbian sex is not seen as real sex. So again, the term gold star gays, gold star lesbians, it's kind of icky, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So that's just my two cents. Hi, Dan. I'd like to add to the discussion about the expression gold star that you mentioned in episode number 790. 
First, I'd like to, to remind everyone that queer women, queer women also use the term gold star. I hope it's largely understood in the queer community that the term is not an insult, but a badge of pride, just as you described it for gay men. But for f- queer women, there's another facet as well, a, f- a feminist one about never having to sleep with men, as well as not ever having to enter into the particular power dynamic that comes along with sleeping with men. It's about having the good fortune of life circumstances and self-awareness that would allow a person to sidestep the heteronormative setup that was expected of us back in the day. I came out as a lesbian in my early 20s, but before that, I had been very sexually active. I slept with something in the neighborhood of 40 different guys or more because I was not yet fully aware of my own queerness, and I thought that if I tried enough guys, I might finally find one that did something for me sexually. None of them ever did, and in hindsight, I wish I never had to go through that sexual experiment because it was painful and sad and lonely. I finally figured out my attraction to women, and when I got to have sex with a woman for the first time, it was fireworks and angels singing, and I knew I had finally arrived at where I was supposed to be. Now it's years later, and my current partner is a gold star. She knew she was queer as early as elementary school, and she even had a girlfriend in high school in the 1980s, for which she got plenty of ridicule and a few nasty fistfights. But even though she had her own set of negative circumstances, I still envy her gold star experience. I wish I had known as a young person that queerness was an option for me. But what was modeled to me in the South in the 1980s was that if you're queer, you got beat up at school. And if you dared to have a same-sex relationship, you could find yourself institutionalized, which did happen to a high school acquaintance of mine. Looking back, I truly wish I'd never had any sexual encounters with men at all, and especially not the acquaintance rape in college. These encounters never would have happened if I had been able to understand my queerness at an earlier age. So to anyone who takes offense at the expression gold star, I say they need to calm down and not forget the important historical context from which the term evolved. Many of us had sexual encounters that we didn't want to have because of homophobic and heteronormative socialization. So I say we get to keep the term gold star because it has real and important significance to us and our experiences and our history. Hey, vagina owner here responding to the cum girl. Regarding coming your veg, I say embrace the gersh. It's not going to ruin your panties. You don't need a pad unless you're fucking a superhero. And I kind of love the hours later reminder gersh. And texting my partner something like, hey, I just got out of the car and your cum leaked out of me. I think it's a playful hot reminder that I got a load shot in me earlier. Uh, regarding anal, Dan was right. You can expel the cum afterwards, which you should be doing anyway, because peeing after sex, especially anal, is really important because UTIs suck so bad. And I often end up expelling cum while straining to pee after having anal orgasms. Or you could just make him suck it out of you, like the good boy I'm sure he is. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's show or something to say about something I said on this week's show? The best way to get us your questions and your comments is to use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and then email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. The Hump 2022 Film Festival will be playing in theaters in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and Olympia in January, February, and March with all new smutty films. We just put together the lineup. It is one of the best humps ever, and we are so excited to be getting back into, fingers crossed, theaters in the new year. Tickets are on sale now, and it's a special gift. Every purchase of Hump Tickets comes with a free one-month subscription to the Magnum Savage Lovecast. Go to humpfilmfest.com to grab your tickets and claim your Magnum 
Lovecast subscription today. And on Thursday, January 6th, instead of hosting a sack lunch with Savage Lovecast Magnum subscribers, we will be hosting Happy Sack, a happy hour Zoom at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern. And to mix it up, we'll be playing a few rounds of raunchy games as one Magnum-sized happy family. Be on the lookout for more details coming to you soon via email to Magnum subscribers. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Mistress Matisse on Twitter at Mistress Matisse. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescue and Nancy. And I'll be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.